Hello and welcome to Dead Ideas in Teaching and Learning, a higher education podcast from the Center for Teaching and Learning at Columbia. I'm Katherine Ross, the Center's Executive Director. Let's get started. I'm speaking remotely today with two undergraduates from Columbia University who have served as undergraduate teaching and learning consultants as part of our center's Students as Pedagogical Partners initiative. We are joined today by Michelle and Sajin, who will now briefly introduce themselves. Michelle, why don't you kick us off? Hi, Michelle. I'm a junior in Columbia College studying biology with a concentration in Hispanic studies. Hi, I'm Sajin. I'm a junior in chem or in C studying chemical engineering um, as well as education. All right, C's is our School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. For those of you who may be listening who are not from Columbia, so welcome, uh, Sajin and Michelle. Uh, let's. I want to set the stage a little bit for our listeners um, and just share why we decided that we're going to close out this academic year with a conversation with uh, you two. And I think partly it's because we do think that student voices are really critical, particularly at this time of disruption. But also, um, in May 2020, we interviewed four Columbia undergrads and we released that episode in fall 2020. I believe it was episode four in season one. And we thought, well, now we're a full year out. Um, we're getting to the end of the spring 2021 semester. And we thought it would be really interesting to check in again with some of our undergraduate student consultants. Disruption like we have experienced in this last year can often expose dead ideas and it gives us an opportunity to rethink how we do things like teaching and learning. And so we thought it would be really fun to end this academic year again, checking in with the student experience um, and learning more about how dead ideas surfaced in this extended time of disruption. So with that said, I'm going to move right into the first question, which is, in this time of disruption, was there an opening for you to discover any dead ideas about learning that you may have been holding? Can you describe any aha moments about your learning or a time maybe when you realized, oh, this isn't working for me as a learner and, and what you decided to do about that? Um, I can go first. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest moments that I sort of realized is, um, is just going through all my classes, the concept of failure and like being okay with failure. Um, and I think that a lot of my time at Columbia, especially when it was in person is always like, oh my goodness, like if you fail, it's the end of the world. Um, like that's not okay. But, um, as I've sort of been going through this like pandemic, everything switching to remote, it just kind of made me realize that like, it's okay to fail. Um, and especially like in a lot of these classes, like if you're not failing, like it's really hard to learn and sort of grow from that experience. Um, and so like, that's one thing I've noticed, especially with my teachers is that like, it's okay if we don't do so well. Cause like 
teachers are trying to be more supportive and understanding. And in doing so, it sort of allows students to sort of be more creative in their thinking and what they're interested in. That's a pretty powerful insight and uh, one that I think I've heard from other undergraduate students, you know, anecdotally talking with them. And so it seems to be one of the good things that may have come out of this pandemic that instructors perhaps opened up spaces for students to um, not fail in the sense of like you're getting an F in the course, right? But to really be more honest about assessing your own work and learning from it, using it as a learning, a step in the learning, right? Not just saying, oh, this is bad. <laughs> Michelle. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with what uh, Sajin's saying about just kind of having like more, um, like having that ability to just like um, step back and like not be so focused on the grade and then, you know, just actually take the chance to like learn and like actually think about what you are, what you're trying to understand, uh, which is very powerful. Um, I was also thinking that um, at least during this pandemic from like my own personal experiences, there's um, like, I actually had more, I think, realization about like methods about how to study um, as opposed to like maybe the content that I'm learning. So I think what, what I was always doing like before kind of going remote was, you know, just bringing all my stuff to the library and just like sitting, like camping out in like, you know, Butler library for like five to six hours straight. Um, like I wouldn't leave my desk at all because I always thought that maybe as long as I just had like long, longer times of like focused concentration on just like one concept or something, or like I just hammer it into my brain, it would somehow just stick. Um, but I think what I started realizing was that um, like being remote, since you're sitting all the time, it's just like, it's just physically is not a very healthy thing to do anymore. <laughs> so I think what I started doing was more, um, you know, just taking more like smaller breaks, like 20, 30 minute breaks in between. Um, and I felt like that actually like, what I like kind of kind of contradictory to what I originally thought it actually helped me like be more alert when I was like learning and like actually sitting down and like kind of helped me to like maximize the amount of time that I was really like taking in the information um, so that was like a very interesting thing that I found out as well wonderful and that I think there's certainly research in cognitive psychology that would support that right and I think for me, um, I definitely agree with that. And like the whole idea of taking breaks when you're studying. Um, but also in this remote setting, the whole idea of being able to rewatch lectures and like certain parts of lectures was really valuable to me, um, especially because it wasn't like you would sit through like all 75 minutes. And like if you miss something, it wasn't the end of the world. Um, because I felt like a lot of the time when I was in person, it was always like I was scrambling to write down notes. Um, but now I definitely feel like I can take information in little bits and chunks. And like sometimes I'll like want to watch an, like a lecture on double speed and just watch it through to understand where everything is. And then later on when I'm studying, I can go back and like watch things slower, watch things faster. Um, but I think it, it definitely allowed me to sort of uh, change the way I studied, like Michelle was saying, um, and like take things in bits and pieces um, and do them when I could. I also just personally really did like the whole idea of like having more open book tests um, and being able to take my time and not feel like I'm in such a time crunch. Um, because like 
I think I thrive when I'm able to sort of make a study guide, spend my time learning the material and not just trying to like memorize it really fast, um, which is sort of what I tend to feel like when I'm in person. Um, and it's only like an hour and 15 minutes. Um, but when I'm giving like this 24 hour time frame, I feel like I have a lot more like accessibility and able to like sort of dive into the parts of my study guides. Um, and it also, I don't feel like I'm not studying as hard. I just feel like I'm able to focus on the things that really matter to me more. And like, I'm able to actually understand the concepts as opposed to just memorizing like, oh, I did steps one, two, and three, and I get this answer. And so when I go take the test, I'm going to do steps one, two, and three. It's more of like, I actually get this material and like, it makes sense. And like, it kind of makes me think of like the whole idea of being like preparedness and being in the workforce. Um, because I feel like, now I'm able to sort of think of ideas as like whole ideas as opposed to thinking of them as just like really small problems like, oh, I'm going to memorize that solution and then write it down because like, is that really preparing me? That's pretty powerful. Um, do you hope that those two features will remain as we go back to face-to-face -face classes, like more uh, assessments that aren't timed and that you know, you can do like a take home test as opposed to a high stakes time test um, and the pre-recorded lectures. Uh, Michelle, what it, did you have a similar experience like that? Uh, yeah, I actually, um, I definitely like agree with what Sajim was saying about just have being able to like watch like recorded lectures again. Cause um, I remember, I, I distinctly remember like the first time when I like went back and watched like a recorded lecture for one of my STEM classes. Um, I, I literally like, I was, you know, I was like comparing the, the, the lecture recording with like what I had down in my notes from the live lecture. And I was like, Oh, you know, like I realized like I missed this part or like maybe I didn't take notes that were as detailed as they could have been um, given based on the information that my professor was talking about during this time. So I think like definitely just, being able to have like a recording um, really helps to like, it helps me to like fortify like my understanding of something and also to like kind of fill in the gaps of like, cause you know, there's, you know, while you're writing, while you're trying to listen and write at the same time, it's definitely very difficult to be able to like kind of take down everything that a professor is trying to convey. So definitely having like that space, like after class to like process and, um, you know, just reinforce your own understanding and learning. Um, that is like a very powerful tool, I think, for a student. All right. Well, thanks for that. I mean, one of the things that um, we discussed last spring in the episode that I mentioned um, was the students saying that they realized maybe for the first time, like how much being part of a community of learners was something that was really important to them. And you know, by its absence, it became glaringly obvious that um, having that community, your peers, right, that you're in there with um, was really missing. And they realized that they had to make some pretty intentional efforts to create and maintain that kind of sense of community in the online space that we're currently operating in. And likewise, I've heard from uh, instructors as well, that they also realized that this had gone missing and started to, you know, intentionally um, create activities and spaces for students to be together. 
um, not necessarily in a class kind of setting. Um, so I wonder if you've encountered any examples of this type of community building in the context of your classes, you know, that's being done really well by your instructors and or by the students in the class, you know, doing things to help uh, create their own community. Yeah, so um, I definitely think that professors have been more deliberate in terms of like the classroom space, trying to, um, you know, help students get to know each other more and also just to also build like the professor-student relationship too. So like in one of my smaller um, discussion courses, um, normally like a lot of my professors have never done this before actually, but like now during this time, before we first started class, like my professor sent out a mini like profile sheet to everyone to basically fill. It's kind of like a little introduction sheet where you kind of like, you know, you write down, oh, you know, this is what I'm majoring in. You know, these are what I like and dislike. This is why I am studying or taking this class, um, stuff like that. And then basically my professor then like on the first day of class would put us into like breakout rooms with like, you know, maybe a couple of other students. And we would just literally share like what we had written down on our like mini info sheet. Um, so it was like a very interesting like icebreaker activity. Um, I think that originally it might have been like a little bit awkward because like you're just kind of like reading off your own like it's, it was like a little profile introduction, right? But like over time, I think just like when the professor, like the fact that my professor like uses like breakout rooms actively, like even for like a discussion class um, where we get to be see like maybe two or three students at a time as opposed to like, you know, like 10 students. Um, it's like you see familiar faces and over time, like you kind of develop a relationship. And I think like that helps with like definitely like community building within the classroom itself. Yeah, I think for me, like very similar. Um, I really loved breakout rooms um, and I thought they were really valuable, especially um, in like even in my STEM classes where like they tend to be lectures. I think some teachers have sort of shifted it to make it more like it's partially lectures and it's partially um, more of like problem solving. Um, and just being in those like smaller groups uh, like Michelle was talking about have been really helpful in like even just making a few friends like in my major um, and especially like in a major, like for me, it's chemical engineering, but when like at Columbia, you tend to do more of like your major requirements in your junior and senior year. Um, I felt like for me being able to sort of meet groups of people, even like if they were small, um, this year for me, especially was really valuable, um, because I was really hoping to meet those people in person. Obviously you can't really do that right now. Um, so like that was really valuable. The other thing I really enjoyed was having my professor our professors like bring in um other real world professionals um and one example of this was like in my intro to economics class um with professor gulati he brought in um ron Klain, who's the current like white house chief of staff um and like we got to like zoom him and speak to him and just like seeing these really like i guess powerful people all around the world being in our class and speaking to us it it makes you so much more excited to be part of a classroom experience. And so I really enjoyed this concept of bringing in professionals from the real world. And I hope that even if we do go back in person, we still have these experiences because I think that Zoom has has connected us much further beyond just the Columbia campus. That's really fascinating because I've done a little survey with some faculty, different faculty groups on campus. And when I ask them, what are some things that you hope to keep 
that you, you know, started using during this time period, but you want to keep as we transition back to face to face. And the two things that come up over and over again are bringing in guest speakers on Zoom um, and breakout rooms. And how can we keep the breakout rooms, particularly for large classes? Is there some way, like, how can we replicate that when we go back to face-to-face -face teaching? Because they've been so powerful. So interesting you picked exactly the same things. <laughs> Another um, really interesting thing about this whole time period is um, what's happened with grading, right? It was kind of an experiment in the spring, last spring. You started out with regular kinds of grading, you know, letter grades, points, um, however it was done in your classes. And then all of a sudden it got turned into pass-fail. But then... This fall, it went back to kind of regular grading, although I think you still had a little bit more flexibility in taking, deciding to take certain courses pass-fail. Um, you know, given that one of the original Diane Pike dead ideas was grades motivate learning, I'm curious what you discovered about yourselves in terms of your motivation for learning as you went through sort of grades pass-fail, grades again, but I could take it pass fail. Like how did, did you learn anything about your uh, motivation or your engagement levels with your courses? Um, yeah, I was actually thinking like, it's very interesting. Um, like, I guess this kind of having this kind of experience where you're like all pass fail and then like back to like grading. Um, I actually felt like at least when just having the option to do pass fail um, and have it also count. Like, I think um, there's like a lot of the pressure I think was off on trying to like, especially because I think a lot of, um, you know, I'm a biology major, so most of my classes are STEM. Um, I think Sajan might also agree that like a lot of STEM classes are based around like, like maybe three midterms and then like one final that counts for like some 40 something percent of your entire grade. Um, and it's like all timed. It's like very high stakes kind of exam. Um, so in like when you're doing that in like a graded system, it's like very, you know, it's, it's like very, um, like I would, I would say like, especially if you're like stressed out from like a lot of other circumstances in your life, it's like very hard to kind of like bounce back. Like if, for example, you do poorly on one midterm, you're going to be like, oh no, this is a bad trend. It's going to like ruin the rest of like my entire like grade in this class. So like, that's pretty much all you're focused on. I think when it was past fail, um, we're having that flexibility, um, I don't know, like, at least I was able to, like, really step back and just think about, like, okay, so I no longer am being graded maybe on, like, a numerical basis, but, like, you know, I still want to maximize my time in this class, you know? Like, I don't want to just, you know, sit it through and not learn anything because, you know, what I'm here to do is, like, I'm interested in this subject, right? And I still do very much want to, like, do it well. So in that sense, I do have more flexibility to be able to, just like, focus on um, maybe, like, a topic that I'm more interested in, or like maybe delve deeper into something. So for example, like if I find something interesting in a textbook that I read, I, you know, in a pass-fail system, at least what I found what I was doing in last, uh, last spring was basically, you know, going online and like looking up additional research papers, you know, just trying to like explore the subject a bit more. But, you know, if it was like, I guess in a grading system, like it's a lot harder to do that because I'm always just like, oh, I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm 
on time. You know, I have to make sure like I finish this homework onto the next assignment, zip, 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 you know? So like there really is no room for like that additional exploration. Um, but yeah, so I think like definitely having the sort of two experiences has made me like realize um, that I need to like start taking a step back in like my learning and like really reevaluating like what exactly is it that I'm chasing? Is it the grade or is it like the subject itself? Oh, interesting question to give yourself. <laughs> I think I definitely like agree with that. I think I think for me, I always thought that like I was like grades did motivate me and I, I always thought that but like I didn't actually like process that like process what that meant and I think what I've sort of realized over this experience is that grades definitely motivate like working I, I wouldn't say they motivate learning um, and I think that they're two like very different things and like I'm I definitely like when I'm like graded for my classes like Michelle was saying like it's like you do something you're on to the next thing like you study really hard to like get the good grade on the exam but like you spend so much time doing that you forget like why you're there and like what you're learning and like I think especially like in like majors where like in the beginning especially at Columbia you have like a core curriculum where it's like you sort of get to learn about everything um then once you sort of transition more into like your major specific requirements when it's like more like conceptual like um focused on like what you're learning I wish that we could sort of learn more how to apply that material because um, like something I always find myself like sitting there is I'm like, I'm wondering like, okay, this is really cool. Like I learned how to calculate this, but like, what does that mean in the real world? Um, and especially like in something like chemical engineering, where it's like very abstract, unless you like see a project, I wish that like, some of my classes would like, instead of focusing on grading, because I understand that in the world we live in now, grades are important because they're how we assess people. And that would require a really big shift, which I hope will come, but I know it can't come in like one year. Um, but I would hope that like courses more, like they created a big project over the entire course of the year. And then using the material that we learn, we can solve that big problem. And then at the end, it's like, oh, like, you have solved how a full reactor works, for example, from start to finish and like the different components throughout. Um, I think that would be like really helpful for me because sometimes I feel like what I'm currently learning is just nitpicking small things. And because of that, um, I'm just kind of working to memorize it or working to like get something done as opposed to like actually learning what this material is and like what it means. Yes, their uh, project-based learning is actually um, a central part of some engineering schools. And so I think, you know, it makes sense what you're saying. And, and it's also proven to work really well for, for deeper learning and for allowing students to be able to transfer those more abstract things they're learning to a real-world setting and, and apply them, right? So that's a great, um, great idea that came out of that. So if you could design a way to evaluate student learning, your learning in a course, how would you do it? I guess I, I can start. Um, I think like, like I was saying, um, having just like, I mean, like my idea is kind of like a really big escape room um, where like the concept is like, you have like the whole entire semester and like your goal is to sort of learn the different components to eventually like finish the big project. Um, but I think in that same respect, um, like 
being able to sort of assess students on like small parts of a bigger project throughout. Um, and then like giving them feedback, I think is something that's like really um, valuable. And like in one of my uh, education classes, we're learning about like the difference between formative and summative assessment and like summative assessment tends to be like what grades are and like, did you get the, like, are you getting good grades um, versus like formative assessment is like actually like speaking to people, giving them feedback um, and like seeing growth over time. Um, and so I think that getting feedback, especially in STEM classes, because we normally like it's normally like you either get it or you don't. You get a number grade and you move on. Um, I think like having conversations with your teachers throughout the year of like you're understanding this, you're not understanding this, um, like here's some material to help you with this like come to my office hours and we can go over that. Um, I think like setting up meetings with each student like throughout the semester um, and then like constantly engaging with them in smaller groups or like one-on-one, -on -one, I think that would be something that I would hope would be in more courses or in a course that I could design. Hmm. All very, very solid ideas, I think. Do you want to add to that, Michelle? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually, I, I 100% agree with what Sajin's saying about just being able to um, maybe like do more like group work or more like evaluative work in the sense of like not so much numerical stuff, but like um, more like applicable maybe to like, you know, real world applications of like what you're learning. Um, I would definitely say, I think something that I've noticed or that like, I think that I, that I think is interesting is that a lot of my professors, like, especially when it comes to like grading exams, is that um, like, for example, like for my, either for my statistics class or for my organic chemistry class, like, you know, oftentimes after everyone like takes an exam, you know, there's like maybe like a hundred, close to a hundred something students in the class. And then, you know, the professors every single time it's like, after, you know, you have to start grading, you know, they're, you know, most of them are like sending emails that are like, oh, sorry, I have to like push back, you know, like our homework or we have to push back this other assignment because I am too overloaded on grading or overwhelmed. And I think what I, at least my impression from that is that professors are not actually enjoying grading exams either as an evaluative form for students. So then I think that, then that kind of just makes me think, well, then what's a better way to do it, right? Maybe instead of having that like, stress of like you know having to like grade like a hundred something different exams that time could actually be spent into something like what Sajin was saying about having more informal meetings with like students about maybe like research projects for example or like more long-term um you know long-term projects that are built on like smaller step checkpoints um for courses as opposed to um just you know getting a number and then like stopping it on like a piece of paper and then just like moving on and then never returning to the topic again. So I think like maybe reallocating the time that we're currently using um, for course assessment to maybe like having like conversations with students about like what they're interested in and like different more exploratory projects that could potentially be like an interesting way to go. There's also um, a lot of techniques around collaborative testing where, um, you know, you might do a test individually and then you get together with a group of other, you know, peers in your class and you take the same test. And then you see how you do when you have four people sort of talking through the test and helping each other. And you learn what you got wrong on your 
individual test, right? As because you're talking to your peers, you're talking through it with your peers. So if it's a large class, that means the instructor doesn't have to meet with every student, right? You're getting feedback just by virtue of taking the test again with a group of peers. And there's a lot of different ways you can work it. Um, in some classes, I've tried it in some of my classes that I've taught in the past, where I had the individual score would count for a certain percentage of the grade, and then the group score, assuming it was better, would count for a certain percentage of the grade so that your overall grade could be improved by the group score, but it wouldn't allow somebody who com was completely slacking and just didn't study and was like, oh, I'll just wait and get an A with my peers. So that that couldn't happen, right? But it's um, another way to get that kind of feedback that you want, right? Yeah, I actually experienced that for the first time in one of my classes this semester, um, where we like took the test individually and then our teacher like, allowed us to like we had 24 hours to work with our peers or our friends um, and you would get like a third of the points back so like it didn't really affect the grade that much um, and like it could have it could have helped you for sure um, but it just it allowed you to sort of talk over what you weren't sure about um, what you were confused about um, with your peers and see if they had like a different way of approaching the question um, and I feel like there are definitely times where like I'll take an exam like and if I just take it on my own and then afterwards, like they'll give me the answer key. And so like, I'll just look at it and be like, oh, I got this, this, this wrong. Um, but I think the opportunity of like trying to correct my work before I get like the answer key telling me like, this is how you do it. Um, it sort of, it allowed me to think through the questions. Um, and I think that's something I wasn't always doing before. Um, and it helped internalize the material and like it helped me actually learn it as opposed to just like, looking and saying, yep, I got it, moving on. Right, or yep, I no, didn't get that one. <laughs> yeah. I love that, that. I'm so happy that you had that experience. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. So let's end with a big question. If you could reinvent higher education, what would you wish for? Um, what dead ideas would you hope to leave behind for good? Sajin, you want to start this one? Uh, sure. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing I would say is I hope that like if we reinvented the curriculum, we'd focus more on like what people do in the real world um, and like sharing those experiences. Um, one, just like with professionals in the real world, like having guest lecturers, but also just like preparing students for the workforce, because I feel like so much of the time gets spent on like the nitty gritty details of like what do you need to do to get the grade and like you forget why you're learning all of this. Um, and so like learning what people actually do with these degrees, where they can go, um, different opportunities like that. Um, I hope there's more of that. Um, and then with regard to like grading, like let students fail, but make them realize like it's not the end of the world and like don't penalize them for like taking the opportunity, I guess like taking the opportunity to fail, but like allowing themselves to like not get everything right and like learn from that. Um, especially like I was saying like that experience I had with the getting one third points back and like getting to work with people. Um, that's something I loved and I hope there's more of that. Um, and then online office hours um, and like 
Zoom office hours is probably my favorite thing ever because it's just it's so much more accessible. Um, and I really love being able to connect with my teachers and meet them, even if I don't have the time to run all the way to their um, their class or if I'm not on campus for some reason. But yeah, yeah. those are all really great ideas. And I want to maybe elaborate a little bit on the point about the failing. So when you're saying let students fail, I think another way we could say that might be, can we let students be free from judgment, free from evaluation, be in a space where they can be creative and have fun, you know, like a sandbox kind of space, right? And just try things out and see what happens and learn from that without fearing a penalty of a grade. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Michelle. Yeah. Um, I would really say like Sajin pretty much just said, just like said it all, but also I would say, you know, maintaining lecture recordings. Um, if that can be like a continuous, like if that can be like a continued practice as well, I think that would help a lot of students, um, you know, just even like as a study tool um, in the future, like in person, because, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, for a lot of students, it's hard to both write and like listen at the same time. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, it's very helpful to go back and like figure out like, oh, this is my, this is something I might've like missed a little bit. So I'm going to go back and like relearn this, or this is like something that I didn't catch earlier um, that I'm going to go back and understand as well. So like, I think in that sense, having those is like very helpful. And then the other point about that you mentioned about, um, you know, like having professors just like really um, focusing less in on like the number, but just allowing students to fail and not having like the pressure or like if they're or like not really emphasizing that if you fail like this is this is it you're doomed um I think what I noticed with like a lot of my current professors already is that like um you know like when whenever they're during office hours whenever like we're talking about certain concepts you know um you know you ask them like you know what is the approach for understanding this question and they're just like oh I mean my only approach is that I go and try something new or I go and explore um or like you know I go you know, like if I'm not sure about this option, I, you know, go in, like maybe write the mechanism for this chemical reaction in this way or something and see if it works or not. Um, so I think having more of like that emphasis, because, um, you know, since a lot of professors are already doing that or showing students how to do that, like bringing that more, like bringing that kind of exploration more into like the actual grading process as opposed to just the learning process. I think would be like very helpful for students to realize like, oh, you know, this is the reason why I'm learning this and this is how it can be applied and, you know, in the real world as well. So the dead idea we we could let go would be that failure means the end of learning as opposed to failure is part of learning, right? That exploration, risk-taking, trying stuff out and failing is actually beneficial to learning and should not mean the end of learning. Did I, is that accurate? Did I get that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically the main idea here. So that's a really good dead idea, I think, to just put away and like, let's just not let it come back when we go back to face to face. <laughs> so thank you both. This was really wonderful, and I'm really excited to share this out with people. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. This episode concludes our spring 2021 season of Dead Ideas in Teaching and Learning. To everyone who has helped make the show possible, our brilliant guests, our dedicated listeners, and our industrious producers, thank you. We hope you'll join us next fall. In the meantime, if there are dead ideas you would like to hear about or talk about on our show, please send us an email at ctl-podcast at columbia.edu. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit our website where you can find any resources mentioned in the episode, ctl.columbia.edu backslash podcast. Please like us, rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Dead Ideas in Teaching and Learning is a product of Columbia University Center for Teaching and Learning and is produced by Stephanie Ogden, Laura Nicholas, A.B. Seidel, and John Hanford. Production support from Kate Ty Piggott. Our theme music is In the Lab by Immersive Music. 